This episode of Country Squire Radio is brought to you by Missouri Meerschaum. We thank them for supporting this show, and we thank you for supporting them. You're listening to Country Squire Radio. Welcome to Country Squire Radio. I'm Bo. And I'm John David. JD! Hey, Bo. Good afternoon, man. <laughs> good afternoon to you too, sir. How are you doing today? I mean, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It was a, uh, man, it was a, a restful weekend. And um, man, the shop uh, here in Jackson is uh, kind of creeping back open to, uh, you know, full full steam here. So our uh, local authorities have kind of given us the green light to, you know, open back up a little bit. And so, um, man, just enjoying the, um, yeah, enjoying, you know, seeing some old friends and stuff like that. Of course, trying to take as much precaution as we can with uh, lots of Lots of gloves and, uh, you know, uh, tons and tons of uh, hand washing and sanitizer usage and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. But, um, <laughs> man, yeah, we're, we're doing great. Just trucking along, trying to uh, enjoy the uh, the new reality we live in. So <laughs> what's going on with you, man? Man, we're doing good over here. I mean, it's kind of a fun uh, fun day uh, as we're recording this uh, the podcast because, you know, my birthday is coming up in about a week or so. But my uh, amazing wife and children... Uh, decided they would make me a cake a little bit early. The goal was we're going to make this cake. We're going to freeze it because we're going to be um, kind of, uh, uh, I hate to say that we're going to go on vacation because you're not supposed to say that right now, but we're, we're we're taking a small trip as a family where we will be in quarantine the entire time. So, you know, we're, we're <laughs> nobody vacation shame me here. But anyway, that point should, is that... Uh, that should keep most of the people off your back, Bo. That's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, when you're camping, you know, when you're camping or you're like staying at a cabin or something of that nature, then, you know... You not it's still it's still quarantine just quarantine a different location no, that's good yeah you're just you're just somewhere else <laughs> yeah they they uh they decided they would uh, make me a cake and um you know in my family uh caramel cakes uh from my grandfather to my father to me it's always kind of a, a birthday tradition yeah that's nice you gotta understand like to my wife this is just not not her thing like she loves like she loves baking but she tries to make things healthy and caramel cake there is no such thing as a healthy caramel cake. I don't even, I don't even want to know what the attempt looks like, to be honest with you. But, um, you, you know, I heard one time to make a caramel or to, to make a caramel cake a little less sweet, you got to serve it with ice cream to cut the sweetness. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right, man. You got to get that vanilla you know bean I mean? ice cream. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it, man. But yeah, so that's, that's about the situation we find ourselves in. But yeah, so they made this and they were going to freeze it for us to be able to enjoy on my birthday while we're away. Uh, but the funny thing is, uh, well, not funny. I, so it didn't go according to plan. You know what I mean? Like you start off with the best intentions and you have like a multi-layered cake and it kind of becomes a lopsided thing of just deliciousness, but maybe not the most like visually stimulating. <laughs> if you're Attractive. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, uh, they lovingly asked if we could go ahead and bump my birthday up. Uh, and I was like, yeah, let's do it on Monday. So we're, uh, we're tonight as we record this podcast, we're having my birthday celebration. I got a porterhouse oh, from, uh, from the store. Yeah, man, we're going to do the caramel cake. I'm, I'm doing the porterhouse, uh, bisteca florentina or whatever the Italians say. It's just a super rare beef and it's, uh, it's going to be, yeah, bless you. <laughs> it's going to be good. I actually dry aged the thing too. I put it, did the whole like salt it, put it in the fridge. Uh, I'm mildly nervous. We'll see what ends up happening, but uh, it should be good, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing well here. Hopefully y'all won't get botulism or anything, but no. that, <laughs> the thing I bet is, you'll be fine. Well, man, uh, yeah. 
Go ahead. Well, so I'm really stoked about this because not only do I am I going to enjoy this amazing steak, this amazing cake, but I'm also going to be enjoying my pipe tonight. And man, I'm going to be enjoying some new pipe tobacco, new new to me, like not new to anybody else but me. But like I feel like I've like discovered something that several people are already well familiar with, and that's uh, Taps VIP. Yeah. Have you have you tried the Taps VIP? Yeah. Oh, so good. I actually haven't. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, that's a Daughters and Ryan tobacco. Is that right? They're the distributors, but I want to say that it's the, what is it? The Triangle State uh, Pipe Club. I'm sure I'm butchering their name and we need somebody on from that group. I, I actually, I thought about it after I, I smoked my first bowl of it. I was like, oh my goodness. Like I need to reach out to these folks and see if they want to come on the show and, and just like, let me just like yeah. hit them with all the praise in the world. Because I mean, like it's bourbon, it's honey, it's like all of these amazing uh, uh, flavors in there. And I mean, you know, it's not for everybody, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I just discovered that and I'm looking forward to smoking it tonight. That's great, man. Yeah. A quick, uh, a quick research here. Cause I have not smoked taps VIP and I actually am not super familiar with most of, uh, the daughters and Ryan products, but yeah, it looks like it was made for, uh, the triangle area pipe smokers there in North Carolina, I'm assuming. And, uh, it's a Virginia Perique blend made by, uh, uh, Daughters and Ryan, uh, blended by Mark Ryan, and uh, yeah, it comes in a in a cool little uh, you know one of the uh, Cornell and Deal style tins. It looks like, and um, man, yeah, so you you really enjoyed it, and it's a Virginia Perique, and uh, and it's got looks like some uh, aniseed uh, bourbon flavor, honey. Um, that looks great, man. Yeah, I'll have to have to give it a give it a shot. I, for some reason, I just have not worked uh, through a lot of the Daughters and Ryan blends and i um and 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 frankly i'm ashamed so i, I need to i need to remedy that <laughs> i love it my my pipe smoking experience just just kind of surpassed you shamed me wow you shamed this is you shamed me you did <laughs> hey I'm, I'm proud of you man yeah put put a put a star on your uh on your chest Bro, this, is, this is a birthday <laughs> miracle right here this is amazing <laughs> anyway man so yeah so it's it's going well here um but man i'm excited to uh to be talking with you we got a great show planned for everybody uh, we want to, of course, uh, yeah. first mention we got some great new, uh, we got a great new club member and a new patron as well. Uh, joining us uh, at the Pilgrim level, ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Purvey. Now, I'm sure I could, I'm sure he, Aaron, I'm sure Aaron would have like appreciated me intentionally like mispronouncing his last name, but no, it's Purvey. It's, it's Aaron Purvey. And thank you for being a Pilgrim, brother. We thank you so much. <laughs> That is right. That is right, man. Thank you so much, Aaron, for uh, for supporting the show, man. We are so grateful. Purve, Aaron Purve. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we also have man joining us at uh, as as a patron, uh, Alex uh, hates Alex. I am actually butchering his last name, uh, but uh, but he actually is going to be back in later in the show for uh, for some quick fire questions where he's going to take me to task for knowing full well that I am going to butcher his name. Uh, which I appreciate. That's that is some commitment right there. That's uh, that, that's some commitment. So it should be uh, it should should be a great show. Looking forward to getting to that. But thank you to both Aaron and Alex. Without you, yeah, this podcast would not happen. So y'all are amazing. Thank you. All right, I am stoked, man. We are going to be talking about a subject that I think you and I have talked about doing this show for so long that we both kind of thought we had yeah. done it at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and it's funny, Bo. There are so many topics that are like that. You know that we we have discussed around the edges over literally the past. You know, <laughs> how long we've been doing this? Like fifteen years? Not that long, but <laughs> you know, we've we've talked about it Getting around. Close, it feels like it feels like right. Yeah, we we've been talking about it around the periphery for so long, and we've kind of had little dives into it here and there. But um, man, it's it's just amazing that yeah, we we have uh, you know never taken a full. Uh, you know, full blown look into 
into this particular one. Yeah. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we're talking about uh, the 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 blends that you yourself have taken out a second mortgage in pursuit of. The blends <laughs> that Blackbeard himself could not go on a Trevor quest that would be successful enough. The blends <laughs> that are so legendary that Indiana Jones had to traverse the caverns of some country and do some stuff and switch out the monkey statue with the sandbag and still it wasn't there. Of course, we're finally talking about Esoterica and you're going to explain to me the, the back end of es- Esoterica. Cause like when I That's see Esoterica, right. Esoterica as a pipe enthusiast, as you know, somebody who enjoys pipe tobacco, uh, man, I, you know, I know them from legend, you know, I've, I've enjoyed some Penzance. I have enjoyed, uh, some Pembroke, but like, I, I just like, that is like the extent of my knowledge. I know you see Esoterica, you assume, uh, you assume premium. Now, whether or not you taste premium, that might be up for discussion, but you assume premium and you certainly assume like exclusivity. But like in, in terms of where these blends come from, who's the distributors, how they became what they are today, uh, man, I, I am like front row seat here. I am ready to learn. <laughs> well, and, and of course, you know, we are talking about Esoterica today. But, so you, can, you can't talk about Esoterica without talking about J.F. Germain. And it's, uh, you know, this uh, fantastic uh, blending house tucked away there on an island in the, uh, in the English Channel. And, um, you know, folks are like, oh, Germain, I've heard of that. Esoterica, I've heard of that. Well, well these are the same uh, these are the same people. It's the same. Uh, it's the same folks uh, blending this stuff. They're doing it for different markets, and it has kind of a interesting entwined history. And uh, of course, they're some of the most sought after the Germain and Esoterica tobaccos. Some of the most um, most sought after tobaccos in the world, and uh, and for good reason. They're they're incredibly unique. They're incredibly high quality. Um, even if they weren't high quality, they they come out in such small batches that. It's just a supply and demand thing. It's one of those things where, you know, for a for a company, you know, of this renown in the pipe smoking community to have basically less than 20 employees, <laughs> you know, and they're making this, uh, you know, caliber of tobacco, you, you're not surprised that it's hard to find the stuff. One of those things where folks have made uh, very, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, questionable purchases that they've had to explain to their spouse, mm. like, you spent $300 mm-hmm. on a 50-gram tin of what? and uh of course that all uh all starts with uh with the germain and company and their uh their fantastic blends so um yeah jf germain and son uh founded in 1820 on the jersey islands uh by a gentleman named thomas albin now you know it's interesting though we you know we here we are we find ourselves in 2020 and we're discussing this topic and and this is the 200th anniversary of the uh, of the Germain uh, Tobacco Factory, so the, this 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 company actually got started literally 200 years ago this year, uh, which is pretty fantastic. So um, you know it, it's it's really neat, just kind of the uh, the anniversaries that are. Um, that are happening uh, this year. You know, we've got obviously the Squire is turning uh, 50 years old, and um, you know you've got J.F. Germain that uh, is turning 200. Uh, if, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe L.J. Peretti uh, is turning 150 this year as well. Of course, famous uh, tobacconist there in um, in Boston. And so, um, man, just you know, so much to celebrate in the pipe smoking world. We're just we're glad to be a small part of it. But um, man, founded in 1820 uh, by Thomas Albin, Jersey. Where is that? So imagine you're kind of envisioning, you know, the Isle of Great Britain, the English Channel, and then France right beneath it. And there's this island that's very, very, very close to France. It's so close to France, it's only 12 miles away, that you would just as 
assume that it would be a part of of France, but actually it is a realm that is a uh, protectorate of the of the crown of of England, uh, now Great Britain. It, it is part of um, of the you know was part of the British Empire was a part of uh, Normandy. Uh, you know it, when you think about you know if you're familiar with British history, Western Civ stuff, you know you had the Normans kind of come over and conquer 1066. William the Conqueror came over and conquered England, right, and uh, you know established uh, the Norman rule there. And and what what's interesting. So at that at that time, going that far back, we're talking a thousand years. This little island of Jersey was a part of um, you know the the English king's holdings at that time. Well, eventually, you know, Normandy was lost by the English kings to other interests on the continent. And so the English kings who were Norman, they were kind of stuck in England and now all their territories were up there. Uh, the, you know, their French holdings became, uh, you know, subject to other rulers. And, and, and this little island of Jersey somehow slipped through the cracks. And it, and it to this day remains in uh, English, now, now British uh, control. And so really interesting. But little tiny island, it's a self-governing island. Island. Uh, it kind of has its own national identity and, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. And so, and, and the Germain Company, J.F. Germain, is a part of that. It's kind of a part of uh, this little atoll's, uh, you know, identity, which is which is really neat. Thomas Albin, he started as a shipper, actually. He was a shipper and an entrepreneur um, in the early 19th century and realized the importance of transporting essential goods and that, that Jersey was the perfect location for this because of all the uh, confluence. You had France, you had Belgium, you had England, uh, you know, uh, Denmark and uh, these places. And of course, you know, this was kind of a nice jumping off point to go to uh, exotic places, you know, in the New World, uh, you know, in the South Pacific, uh, places like Australia and New Zealand. And and so, uh, you know, he kind of realized the the um, importance of this, this particular area in getting uh, ships outfitted and provisioned for these, uh, these big journeys that they were going to take. Uh, Jersey trafficked in a lot of cargo provisions during this time, and so he wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, the ships would leave and go to these interesting places, and of course, they would bring back exotic items and exotic things back to this little, tiny European-English island there in the in the channel. So one of those things obviously wound up being tobacco. <laughs> it's just such a small world. Man, the old school sailors really were, I mean, they were the, uh, they, they were going around and uh, bring exposing so much back to uh, back to their homes, like you know, you, we we we've talked about it before, but I mean, you, like there's a there's uh, such a fascinating aspect of you know the you think about the first time that you see somebody walking down the street smoking a pipe and just you know having no concept of what that is. Um, even now, like you think about the kind of the oddity of like, oh hey, somebody's smoking a pipe, but like imagine you know go back and like imagine that's just not the norm. That is just completely foreign concept. What a, what a bizarre moment in time that must have been. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know? fascinating. Yeah, and to be on the cusp, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, the front lines of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, Albin, you know, he provisioned these ships, uh, picked up tobacco from North America's eastern seaboard, brought them back, and realized that there was a market actually in processing his own tobacco once it got back to to the Isle of Jersey there in Europe. And so, uh, you know, he initially realized, hey, to, you know, meet local demand, you know, our local, there are folks that live on this island, we can make tobacco for them and process it in our own unique way. Uh, and then he realized, you know, we've got 
the opportunity to ship this stuff. Maybe some some close by areas, parts of France, parts of England, uh, you know, maybe uh, you know parts of uh, Belgium, um, you know, and, and so he he saw the you know it the opportunity there, and so the company was born. And so a company named after a man named Thomas Albin, uh, you know, it's interesting. Why is it called J.F. Germain? Well, uh, Albin's nephew Philip Germain soon joined the company. Uh, and then his son, John Francis Germain, eventually took over and kind of gave the company its most, um, you know, most international uh, broad push. And, and so John Francis Germain eventually took over and the company bears his name today. So J.F. Germain is for uh, John Francis and kind of the height of their, you know, as they propagated you know, throughout the tobacco market. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking like the 1920s, 1930s here, and they'd kind of really gotten uh, established as a company that was uh, pushing the envelope, had some of the best uh, blends in the world, was incredibly uh, picky about the type of leaf they used and all this stuff. And so that's where the name came after. So I, I don't know, you know, what kind of what kind of conversations go into that, right? It's like, uh, you know, how, how do you change the name of a tobacco company like 100 years after it was founded? I, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Today, uh, it is known for uh, uh, John Francis Germain or J.F. Germain. The Isle of uh, Jersey, it has a really interesting and ideal climate for tobacco processing. Uh, it's very mild, uh, kind of the salty air. It's very temperate, um, and it's it's a very quiet place. And so, uh, you know, the, the tobaccos there are able to, you know, age and uh, be produced there in kind of a unique way. And then the tobacco availability made available locally and then primarily used by sailors at the time. And so you talk about sailors, you know, they're bringing these things overseas and then they're bringing stuff back home that's interesting and uh, weird and all this stuff. And so the tobacco is kind of a part of that. And so, um, you know, they, uh, Auburn and J.F. Germain, they made the uh, tobacco, tobacco available locally and then uh, obviously was used by the sailors that went abroad uh, and then consumed by pipe smokers in nearby places again like the UK and, uh, and throughout Europe. So, um, you know, as with many of the legacy British tobacco manufacturers, J.F. Germain, um, you know, developed much of its own proprietary equipment, uh, some of which is actually still in use today. I mean, some of these uh, some of these, you know, machines and stuff that they're producing this, um, you know, exquisite tobacco on or, uh, you know, predate some of the states in America. Right. I mean, it's just a. Uh, you know, tr- tremendous the amount of, um, you know, history that goes into this. And, of course, when these things break, um, you know, there's not, you don't call the Maytag guy to come down and fix it, right? <laughs> you know, you've got to, uh, you know, come up with uh, specially engineered ways to uh, maintain this precious, uh, you know, priceless equipment uh, that's uh, that's really, you know, really special and a part of their you know, development. So um, they're very secretive about, you know, their processes, but uh, kind of, you know, the Germain folks became known for that natural tobacco and, and lightly flavored tobaccos. We're thinking of non-aromatics and uh, aromatics that are lightly flavored, very, uh, you know, kissed by, uh, you know, things like uh, honey and, uh, you know, uh, aniseed, uh, rum, uh, bourbon, uh, you know, plum, things of this nature. And so, um, you know, just have a whole, a whole line of things that are very, uh, special kind of in that, in that realm. Uh, the 1820 mixture, their signature English with, uh, Cyprian Latakia, um, very hard to get in the American market and, uh, plum cake, probably one of their, 
more sought-after blends as well. Uh, it's a kind of a plum-topped Virginia shag. Uh, they say they use a quote-unquote black tobacco in there that is uh, rarely used in any other pipe tobaccos, but don't really talk about what necessarily that is. So kind of kind of interesting, but um, they're like, it's not Cavendish, it's black tobacco. Well, that could be a lot of things, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so you've got, you know, Germain makes all these uh, incredible, um, you know, tobaccos that are, are highly revered. Um, it's unique in British blenders in that it doesn't use that um, you know, we've talked about before that Lakeland essence, that rosewater essence that is uh, so uh, indicative of, um, you know, blends that are come out of places from, you know, like Sam Gaywith and Gaywith and Hogarth. Um, and, and, you know, of course, that is kind of when, when folks think of English blenders, British blenders, they kind of think of that. But those are that's typically more reserved for the folks. Uh, that would be in uh, that Lakeland district of uh, Northwest England, and and so that you know they very much, uh, although uh, incredible you know tradition of uh, you know British blending and all that, they they use different techniques that don't really bleed over as much to the um, to the folks here at uh, at JF Germain. So that don't you don't really when you smoke these blends, even the ones that are topped and uh, have some type of flavoring, you don't really get that that essence of um, you know the floral. Um, you know, rose, honey, uh, there's just it, that kind of, there's a lack of that uh, soapiness that's there that, uh, it, I guess that's my derogatory way of describing, a, <laughs> de- de- you know, ex- describing the, uh, the Lakeland blends. But um, and we have a lot of folks, you know, obviously a lot of listeners love Lakeland blends and love that uh, kind of uh, stuff. To me, you know, most of those blends, it kind of tastes like I just, you know, um, I don't know, it, drank out of something I bought at Bath and Body Works, but, (laughs) but, uh, but that's, that's just me. So, um, but anyway, you don't, you don't really get that flavor profile though, when you, when you come down to the, um, you know, to the stuff, uh, at Germain. So, so, you know, Bo, how does Esoterica play into this? We, you know, we, uh, Mm -hmm. talk about Germain, they make all these, uh, outstanding blends. They've got, uh, you know, the special Latakia flake and, uh, all their uh, their Royal Jersey series of tobaccos, their rich dark flake, um, you know, and and then we've got this esoterica stuff, and it's and it's uh, and it's esoteric, it's specialized, it's weird, it's unique, it's uh, it's interesting and different, and it's really hard to get, and everybody goes crazy for it. It's very hyped, and um, it, you know, it's um, it, it's it's interesting. So how does how does this play into it? Um, Germain makes esoterica for the American market. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Uh, there is a, a longtime uh, business uh, based out of Columbus, Ohio, called Smokers Haven. Smokers Haven, uh, it, I believe, used to be, if I'm if I've got the facts correct, uh, I, I know it used to be a, a brick and mortar store. Um, I don't think it has a current brick and mortar location. I think it's an online only business that is run by Premal Chetta, who is a very well, well, you know, highly, highly, highly regarded uh, pipe carver and uh, and quite a gentleman, and uh, you know, just someone that um, you know, if you get the chance to meet at a pipe show, you should. But um, but anyway, Premal owns uh, the current iteration of Smokers Haven, which I believe is just an online. Uh, store, but you know the company goes way back to you know the 1920 or 1940, I, I believe, as Smokers Haven does, and and for a long time they actually had this whole line of tobaccos that were made for them by um, other people. They they had uh, you know another manufacturer basically a manufacturer in 
um, in Europe uh, produce tobaccos under their name. So it, it's kind of like if the country squire went and talked to, I don't know, Bo, let's say they, let's say we went and talked to Lane and we said, hey, Lane, we want you to make us uh, a series of tobaccos and, and call it uh, this, this, and this, and we're going to put it under our name kind of thing. White labeling is what we call this. And so, right, um, right. Yeah. The same terminology is used in the app development world. Yeah. So, um, you know, we had uh, Smokers Haven doing this and eventually, um, you know, during the uh, early 1980s, uh, Sobrani was actually the uh, one producing a lot of their tobaccos for them. They had, a, uh, you know, several blends of, you know, what you can imagine, aromatics, uh, English blends, Virginia Periques, just, you know, all over the map. Uh, their cognac blend was very, uh, very uh, sought after and kind of well known. And um, it, overnight, uh, the Sobrani company actually pulled out of white labeling these blends. They, without almost any warning, they kind of quit uh, making these uh, these blends for uh, Smoker's Haven. And so it's interesting, Smoker's Haven, they developed for this brick-and-mortar store, they developed this really strong following uh, of, you know, of, uh, you know, folks that were buying these, uh, this tobacco that, that they were having produced for them. So, um, you know, let's say, you know, the country squire went and got Lane to produce all these tobaccos. And then the country squire got really dependent on these tobaccos because they were so popular. And then all of a sudden Lane, you know, called us overnight and was like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of what happened with Smoker's Haven. And so, so J.F. Germain stepped in, and was selected uh, kind of on short notice to replicate uh, the original tobaccos that were being produced for Smoker's Haven. And so uh, they got really, really popular and, um, and took off. And for some reason, and I, I'm kind of foggy on, the, um, on the, um, the history here, but for some reason, Smoker's Haven and, uh, and Germain uh, split. They kind of parted ways in the uh, mid to late 1980s. And so um, interesting and very, um, you know, uh, kind of a kind of a fascinating turn in pipe smoking history, certainly on this side of the pond, because, you know, Smoker's Haven was essentially being the, they were being used as the import, uh, you know, the, the source for all this germane tobacco, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, was being produced under their own name. But um, but, you know, it was from Germain, and it was their kind of, it was their, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, point of sale kind of here in the United States. And that's how, you know, Germain tobaccos entered the U.S. was, um, you know, through, through Smoker's Haven. So uh, they kind of split ways. And then later in the 1980s, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting, you know, they were like, well, we've got all these outstanding blends that are being produced by Germain. But we don't have, you know, any way to really get them in the country. So someone's got to import this stuff. And so a guy named Steve Richmond uh, began importing um, the Esoterica tobaccos. He called them Esoterica uh, just to, you know, make it kind of an interesting, uh, really marketing genius type of thing. You know, it was one of those uh, highly sought after, uh, fascinating blends that, um, you, you know, just kind of kept people's, uh, you know, interest peaked and all that stuff. But uh, Steve eventually sold to someone you may know there in Houston, uh, Bo. And oh? that is a that is a person named Mike Butera. Oh, and okay. Mike yes. Butera. Yes, yes, Mike yes. Butera eventually kind of bought the rights uh, from uh, Steve uh, to the um, to the Esoterica lineup. And, you know, Steve was, he kind of saw this as an opportunity for, 
uh, someone who had, you know, the appropriate energy and resources and all this stuff to kind of get the Esoterica name really out there. And so, um, so when Mike Butera got a hold of it, uh, the Esoterica, uh, you know, brand in the United States really caught on like wildfire and uh, was produced, um, you know, there in in Jersey, but imported through Mike Butera into the American, uh, you know, tobacco ecosystem. And um, and then with, you know, heavy marketing and, you know, just lots of, um, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, they, they made this stuff seem like gold, right? I mean, look at look at the packaging and look at how exquisite it is and all this stuff. And, and so it's, uh, you know, once you get your hands on it, it's like, man, we've got to, we've got to hang on to it. And it's got real value because it's gold. Well, it's tobacco, but, <laughs> but we, but we kind of treat it like gold. You right, know? right, so, right. It's, it's um, all about that packaging, man. baby. So Mike and his genius and, you know, they really got this stuff, um, you know, just very, um, very marketable, incredibly uh, sought after uh, here in the States. And so, um, you know, and that that's that's why it is so uh, sought after. It's a you know, it's a it was a series of blends that, uh, you know, went away and then came back and then went away again. And then our, you know, and then our back again. And now uh, Mike Butera eventually sold, if I'm understanding this right, eventually sold the rights of this to uh, the Arango Cigar Company uh, out of Chicago. So longtime listeners of Country Squire Radio will uh, remember this time last year, of course, we were at the Chicago Pipe Show. And I talked to a, a very good friend of mine in the industry uh, named Josh Weiser. Josh uh, works for uh, the Arango Cigar Company, and he's the importer of all this fine esoterica tobacco, and so that's that. Is, he is kind of the um, kind of the gatekeeper, the uh, pr- Lord Protector of all this uh, esoterica goldness that you know comes in uh, comes into the United States, and um, you know is has the very difficult task of distributing it to uh, various uh, tobacco shops and internet retailers and all this kind of stuff. So pretty interesting. Uh, so, you know, kind of looking back, we've, we've talked about Germain and now we've talked about Esoterica. Esoterica is only available in the U.S. for retail distributorship. And so um, the Germain tobaccos that are actually, uh, you know, packaged under the name J.F. Germain uh, are, are more available in the EU. Sometimes we'll see them on this side of the pond and we do get them occasionally, but, but they're much more available in the, in the EU and in, in the UK. And so, um, so it's interesting. You've got like the United States and we're awash in, uh, the esoterica stuff and all the, uh, folks in, in the rest of the world are jealous about that. And then you've got the folks in the rest of the world that are awash in all the germane stuff, and we can't really get it much in America, and so we're jealous about that over here. <laughs> and so there's just lots of demand and this cross-pollination of uh, tobaccos being sent, you know, across the uh, the pond, you know, lots of tr- horse trading and things of that nature to try to get your hands on uh, these blends that, you know, are hard to get in their own right, even in, you know, countries where they are uh, distributed, but, but certainly, uh, you know, really hard to get in places where they're not even distributed uh, at all. And so it's just kind of fascinating. There, there's some speculation that some of the esoterica blends are actually um, just versions of the germane blends, of the of the European market blends. And so, um, you know, most common wisdom, common knowledge has said this is not so. There's, uh, they're all unique tobaccos. They've been compared multiple times by, uh, you know, tobacco tasters that are um, you know, uh, very experienced and all that kind of stuff that, you know, would say, oh, no, well, you know, 
Uh, Rich Dark Flake is not the same as Stonehaven and things of that nature. But but there is some discussion like, well, you know, did they just take their European market blends and repackage them, mm-hmm. give them a new name and sell them in America? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it gen- the general consensus is no, that's not the case. But um, but you never know. There may be some, um, you know, some little trickery going back uh, behind the curtains there um, on the Isle of Jersey. But uh, for the most part, the consensus is that uh, that they are all unique blends. So. For a small blender uh, that employs, you know, <laughs> I mean, less than, you know, a handful of people. I mean, we're talking about very small batches of tobacco, uh, very, very picky about the ingredients they use, about the, uh, you know, time that they allow their tobacco to sit and process. And, uh, you know, obviously they're, you know, using equipment that's very uh, specialized, that uh, takes time. So, you know, the the uh, you know, improvements in industrialization that happened in the 20th century, that has not caught up to the factory there <laughs> as much as you might think uh, there in, um, you know, in on the Isle of Jersey. And so, uh, you know, they, these are small batch tobaccos. They are very, very highly sought after, incredibly hard to get, um, you know, but um, but still have that same quality, and, and there's a reason folks love them. So um, the factory was redone in the 1960s, actually, but still sits in the same location it did literally 200 years ago this year. And uh, it's on the south side of Jersey Island, and uh, it's right along the docks. And so, um, you know, it, we're lucky enough to occasionally get a nice shipment of uh of gold here in the United States. And, um, you know, if you're overseas and in, um, you know, places like uh, London or, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some of the more famous smoke shops in uh, Europe, the uh, Danish pipe shop or, um, you know, stuff in Germany, you may, you may be more likely to see the uh, Germain tobaccos over there, but, um, but, but certainly won't see Esoterica unless it's uh, by someone that, um, you know, got it from this side of the pond. So anyway, pretty cool, man. A great, a great company, a great story, and obviously some of the best tobaccos in the world that, uh, that are hard to get. Man, that's crazy. Like, what, a, what a fascinating story. Like, all right, so I want to, I want to like, just, you, you glossed over something that I need just a little bit of clarification on. So, when it comes to the like the marketing genius, let's say that is the demand for esoterica, the high the high place that it holds, that can be traced back to Mike here in Houston, to Mike, and then to the Arango Company. Fascinating. But, but okay, yeah. interesting. Uh, that's right. Had a big part in that. Yep. That really that 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 helps explain some things. That 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 helps explain some things. <laughs> no, it really does. It really does. I've had the pleasure to meet Mike and uh, and and uh, speak with him, and uh, you could tell he was uh, someone who uh, who was definitely um, you know like like he was he was an industry man. He brought in a ton of knowledge and uh, and definitely commanded respect in the room. And uh, and yeah. It, it, Man, no, it's it's nice because I mean I I knew of him, but I did not I didn't put the two and two together. You know what I mean? That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. For for a while, the importer of all esoterica tobaccos, and um, you know, someone that was a, a driving force behind a lot of that uh, that energy at first, and so um, you know, that really um, you know, in some ways, the American caretaker of the Germain. Uh, name and the Germaine blends. And so, um, you know, of course, that has now passed to the Arango Cigar Company. Um, you know, if you go to the Chicago Pipe Show next year, you'll see uh, Arango based out of Chicago. They always have a, you know, huge booth there. And 
Um, all their folks are super knowledgeable. We, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we interviewed Josh uh, this time last year. And, you know, someone like him or uh, Corey or any of the other guys that work at Arango will be glad to talk about, you know, Esoterica, Germain, kind of the, you know, the history of those products, how they get, how much they get, how they determine who gets what and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they, um, you know, they, they're very, um, you know, very open about the information that they have there. But, um, but anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story, man. And, um, and, uh, That's incredible. Yep. All right. Well, good deal, man. I feel like, like we got a history lesson. We got an industry education in this particular episode and man, fantastic <laughs> job. Um, you know, the great thing is I, you know, I, I should ask this before, before making our, uh, not so subtle transition to talking about our good friends. I got, I got to ask you this, like you personally, I mean, everybody knows your palate is second only to nobody. Um, <laughs> so I got, I got to wonder, man. So like, do you, do you like, like what? Uh, oh, let me put, let me put it this way of, of the Germain. <laughs> is yeah, it really well, that good? <laughs> I, I mean, sure. Let's go with that. I mean, you know what I'm trying to ask here, right? Like, yeah. Is it up to the hype by your personal standards? I, I understand. There, there's a reason uh, it's difficult to get. And it, it's one of those things where, I mean, take a, you know, take a BMW or a Mercedes, for instance. Like, you know, you, you, you know, you're getting something that's hyped up because of the branding and the marketing and, you know, the BMW is the ultimate driving machine and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that you almost feel like when you buy it, you're joining a club and all this, you know, but which is good marketing, but that's not also uh, you go ahead. I think you're about to say what I was going to say. It's it's good marketing, but, but also, you know, quote unquote, underneath the hood, a lot of little German engineers have spent a lot of time making that thing basically perfect. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Beats, and Beats headset is kind of like the one that I always kind of think of. Like it's, it's like the industry name brand. It's top tier. You pay premium for it, but at the same time, and yes, there is that whole they're lifestyle. They're pretty doggone good. They're right? the freaking best <laughs> headphones that are out there. Don't skull cat. Candy they are, at me. Man. I like, I, man, they are fantastic. <laughs> they are. And you know, the, the same, I think really does go for basically anything that comes out of the Jermaine factory. So, um, you know, are they, uh, you know, the best in the world? I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, if we've talked before, Mac Barron, Cornell and Deal, Sutliff, uh, you name it. Of course, we, uh, you know, McClelland, rest in peace. Uh, you know, all these tobacco uh, manufacturers uh, of present and past have been so good and brought their own things to the table. But uh, but Jermaine has a big seat at that table. And I think, um, you know, is someone, is a, is a blender, is a company that uh, produces uh, some of the best. And, you know, particularly their Virginias, I think the, the way they, um, uh, you know, process their Virginias and uh, you know, mature those things are, um, are just, are pretty special. You know, I haven't smoked as much of the, uh, germane tobaccos as I would like, because I've got such a long, uh, you know, line of people that want to get their hands on the stuff. And so I have not, you know, person, I, if, if you came into my tobacco cellar in my guest bedroom of my house, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't just see stacks and stacks of gold bags where I've kind of hoarded this stuff and smoked through it and all this stuff. I, you know, I try to, I try to share it around. So I don't smoke as much as, uh, as maybe I'd probably like, but, um, but you know, some of the stalwarts stuff like Peace Haven and Stonehaven, um, you know, uh, uh, and so to bed, uh, you know, the, uh, Pembroke, um, 
you know, uh, you've got things like uh, Ramsgate, and uh, you know, a lot of these blends that I have had are um, are, are really good. They, they are really good. They're interesting. They're different. They bring something unique to the table. Um, they're very nuanced. They're not uh, super powerful. They're just very, uh, you know, subtle and elegant uh, in their blending notes. And so, um, you know, I appreciate that. And I think they certainly have a um, you know, have a highly esteemed place. Uh, you know, would I pay $200 for a, uh, 50 gram tin of Penzance? Uh, That's the question. I, you know, I wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, but there are, there are folks that would, man. So, um, you know, you, you, I don't know. Uh, everyone's got their own, uh, priorities. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got a mortgage payment. I can't do that, but, <laughs> right, 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 right. but it's, uh, you know, but it's, uh, um, man, great, great tobaccos and certainly, uh, certainly worth a premium, um, you know, depending on what premium you're, you're willing to pay. So, right. Okay. Let me ask you this. And I mean, this, this might be, I don't know. I don't know if this falls under like pipe shop fails or, or, you know, something of that nature. And, and, and maybe it's yeah. not, maybe this is not pipe shop fails. Maybe this is pipe shop best practices. There are pipe shops out there. Like we know this to be the case. There are pipe shops out there that w- they will, when they get esoterica in, they hoard and only sell like a small amount so that during the dry spell, they can like jack up the prices like crazy. Now, don't get me wrong. Supply and demand being what it is, you know, you, you go make your money. I'm not necessarily judging per se, but I do wonder yeah, as to your thoughts about that practice. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm always one of these retailers that would rather, you know, how do I, how, how am I? I'm kind of I putting you on the spot here. I, this, yeah, but, no, I'm sorry for even. Well, no, and that's good. That's <laughs> no, that's good. This is a great question because you do. I mean, let's let's be honest about it. Okay, we've got. I want to. I want to address this without getting angry. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But but I also want to address it with you know with honesty. I mean, we we've you've got retailers that you know will will get this stuff. Um, you know, and they they pay a certain unspecified amount. Uh, you know, for the product wholesale price, and then they sell it for, you know, let's just say, um, you know, an eight ounce bag. They'll sell it for uh, ninety five dollars or something like that. When the you know the retail price of this stuff is is um, you know the MSRP is somewhere closer to forty uh, you know dollars. I you know. I don't know, Bo. I mean, you know, for me, I, I, again, one, one thing I do want to make clear is that every state in the United States has its own tobacco excise tax regime, okay? And so, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, the tobacco excise tax is in, um, you know, Hackensack, New Jersey, or <laughs> the remote parts of South Dakota. I mean, I have I have literally no idea, um, you know, what the, what the excise tax is in those states. But um, you know, but some, some, you know, retailers, I think, uh, do see an opportunity to, um, upsell this stuff and, and they do, it's, you know, capitalism at work, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, um, you know, a way for them to, you know, bring in revenue into, uh, their brick and mortar businesses, which, you know, is difficult, uh, you know, in today's economy with the online sales and all this kind of stuff. So I, I understand the, the motives and the, um, the difficulties and even the, you know, taxation stuff that, well, you know, maybe, you know, if you, if your state has a hundred percent excise tax on tobacco, which some do, um, then, you know, you may have to 
I, I guess you may have to charge seventy dollars for a half pound of this stuff. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I kind of doubt it. But, <laughs> but you know, but maybe, maybe you do. Um, I'll, I'll tell you my philosophy. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, you know, at the Squire, we're we're pleased and and very very thankful to you know occasionally get uh, some of this stuff. And I, I would rather. You know, I would rather leave, you know, some coins on the table and build goodwill in the pipe industry, in the pipe community, and, and give people a chance to really try this stuff, you know what I mean? Rather than, um, you know, make it this, uh, you know, fairy tale thing where, uh, you know, you've got to, you know, be, uh, at, you know, kissing up to the right person and, and have a, you know, fist full of $100 bills and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, for me, I... I, I, you know, I've even gotten to the point where the past few drops we've had, what, what I'll do is I'll save, um, because people come in, they rush and they get it. And, and then you've got this whole fleet of people that, you know, are, are, are searching for it. And, um, uh, you know, just, oh, I, I just really wanted to try it. You know, it's not that I'm hoarding it or want to resell it. I just want to try this. You know, I've never had Penzance and I love English blends and, you know, and man, and everybody talks about it. And so, uh, these past few drops, I've kind of been this little, um, you, you know, uh, behind the scenes, uh, you know, angel. <laughs> I've gone to some of these groups and tried to find some of those people uh, on Facebook that are posting about, hey, I, oh, I missed out. I can't find this. And and so I'll send them a little message and say, hey, you know, just let me introduce myself. My name's you know, John David Cole, and I own this little shop in, in Mississippi. And I happen to have some of this. I saw that you're looking for it. I'm just trying to get it in the hands of people that, um, you know, that haven't smoked it before that want to try it. Um, and so we've we've started over the past few drops doing some of these little small uh, kind of uh, angel shares, you know, <laughs> where, we, where we go around at the end and uh, just kind of pick out some people to, um, you know, get it in the hands of folks that we know aren't looking to resell but are really wanting to try the stuff uh, at a fair price. So, um, you know, for me, I have thoughts about marking it way up like that. You know, that's, um, again, it's, hey, it's the economy at work. It's, you know, how, uh, you know, the nature of uh, buy low and sell high and all that kind of stuff. I get it. I mean, that's how fortunes are made and, and everything. But, um, you know, as a retailer, I've got to be able to, um, you know, sleep at night. And as a pipe enthusiast, I've got to be able, uh, you know, to make sure that, you know, folks are getting the chance to try stuff that they've never had before um, and, you know, are not getting, uh, you know, kind of eaten up by the system. And so it's a, it's a hard balance. But, you know, our, our whole model uh, which, you know, we don't always execute perfectly, but, um, but our model is to, you know, let's leave some coins on the table and let's, let's try to, you know, try to benefit the pipe community, you know, with, uh, you know, getting the stuff more accessible than it, than it currently is. So, um, I don't know, that's just me personally, but, um, regardless, we, uh, we hope, you know, as many people can try it as possible. And I, I think what's happening now with the esoterica stuff, and we'll, we'll move on. I know we've got a move on here. But I think what's happening now is, you know, eBay, you used to see a lot of these tins being sold on the secondary market on eBay. And and you're not seeing that anymore as much because eBay is kind of clamped down on this, um, you know, tobacco tin selling, essentially. And there, that's a whole new conversation. We could do a whole episode on that. Because you can't buy these, because you can't sell these tins of Esoterica on eBay, it's harder for the resellers, it's harder for the, you know, the the vulture types to to get their hands on it, mark it up, you know, four hundred percent, and then sell it because there's not really any outlets for people to do it in, right? And so 
Um, so I think what you're going to see happening, Bo, over the next couple of years is the the market for this, you know, for good or for bad. I mean, I you know, I understand, look, there's, you know, there's, you know, uh, eBay selling tins of tobacco. That has a place. And I mean, I, there are things to uh, be sad about that not happening anymore. Uh, you know, just, you know, distribution. And, you know, if you've got interesting tins you're not smoking, how do you get that into the hands of people that, that will, will enjoy them and all that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, a side effect of all the, you know, changes on eBay, that's, I think, going to affect the esoterica market is you're going to start seeing, um, you know, the crazy, rabid, foaming at the mouth uh, <laughs> demand for esoterica. I think you'll start to see that, um, you know, be, um, tempered a little bit. And, uh, and maybe you'll see some of these tobaccos, uh, kind of, um, you know, when, when folks come across them, uh, maybe they won't be quite as, uh, you know, as, as crazy because they simply can't, you know, there's not an outlet for people to, to put them online to resell for a quick buck kind of thing. So, um, so I, I don't know. The, the future of the esoterica demand is interesting. I know as long as they make the stuff, it'll be popular. It'll be, um, you know, sought after just because of the quality. But I think the rabid, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, in, incredible uh, demand for this stuff that is uh, overwhelming. I think we may see that we may see that tempered a little bit here in the near future. So time will tell. Well, like I said, excellent. Uh, you know, I think we. We definitely went a little bit over, but I think it's it's warranted uh, given the the nature of the topic, and then also just because, you know, you, it's it's good to have that history. But I think that the, it's a uh, it's a product that that lends itself to a little bit of a deeper discussion from that standpoint. So, I mean, I I appreciate you being being uh, uh, open and a bit vulnerable there, man. I, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> it's good. Well, hey, now of course, if somebody was to ever get their hands on uh, any of these fabled tobaccos, that you know, who knows if they actually exist or not. Uh, no, I'm kidding. If, like, if anybody was able to get their heads on these tobaccos, we would want to make sure that they are able to get uh, the full experience to be able to taste all of the various uh, uh, flavor profiles and pick out what you like, what you don't like, decide yourself whether or not it's worth the price. And you're only going to do that with a good quality smoke. And of course, you can get those from our good friends at Missouri Meerschaum. Man, that is exactly right. And you know, if you get your hands on Esoterica, you don't want a small bowl. You want a big bowl. <laughs> you want to load it up, man, and sit there and smoke it and enjoy it with your favorite beverage on in your favorite location for hours and hours on end. And uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, Missouri Meerschaum pipes, one that I turn to uh, personally uh, more often than not, and uh, and one of our best sellers too, is the Country Gentleman. The Country Gentleman is a Missouri Meerschaum that you're probably familiar with uh, just has a very classic uh, shape and kind of oval uh, billiard style shaped bowl with a really uh, attractive uh, hardwood stem uh, there and the uh, the black bit with the hardwood insert in the bottom of the pipe. Uh, it's a generous sized bowl, feels really good in your hand and has that nice uh, kind of uh, black varnished finish that uh, is just very attractive. So um, very reasonably priced pipe. It uh, retails for $13.29 and you can actually get it from the source at corncobpipe.com. Uh, the Country Gentleman is available there along with uh, their entire lineup and tobaccos and so many wonderful products. So uh, go check it out, corncobpipe.com. Get yourself 
finish off a country gentleman, we know you'll enjoy it. And if you've got one this week, be sure to smoke it. Take a picture of yourself doing so with uh, with your esoterica, and we'll uh, let the good folks at Missouri Mission know that you appreciate them for sponsoring this show. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Quick fire with the squire. Quick fire question. Ow! Yeah, man, loaded episode this week. So uh, we'll bring pipe question of the week back next week. But uh, jumping straight to quick fire questions this week, brought to us uh, and by new patron Alex. Uh, here is what Alex has to say. This is the uh, theology edition. <laughs> you ready for these? Whoa. Okay, we we're gonna talk about all kinds of controversial stuff. Here's uh, yeah, you know, yeah. retail pricing, <laughs> and now uh, theology questions. Yeah, <laughs> okay, we're just gonna get all baby. kinds of trouble, man. This is gonna be good. All right, uh, <laughs> here's what we got: uh, Calvinism or Arminianism, or uh, Molinism. I guess uh, he's kind of merging Armin- Arminianism and uh, Molinism. Molini, Molin. Yeah, help 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 my dyslexic For, tongue here. It's Molinism, and it's Arminianism slash Molinism, and I. If if you've listened to Country Squire Radio long enough, you you've probably caught on that Bo and I are both, uh, you know, Bible believing Christians saved by the grace of the good Lord in in spite of ourselves. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm I'm a Calvinist, but I don't want to fight about it. Let me just put it that way. And and, <laughs> and I will say for most Calvinists that uh that can be kind of rare sometimes. So is the not wanting to fight about it part. But I, I am a Calvinist. I don't want to fight about it. <laughs> Uh, I, I fall in that exact same ca- category. I think at times in my life I was Calvinist and I wanted to fight about it, but that was when I went to a, I was a, <laughs> like, to be fair, I was a, I was a Calvinist at a Baptist university. I mean, you know, you had to fight, you know, you had to, <clears throat> you had a chip on your shoulder, right? Yeah. yeah I, no, I, I, I mean, get it. Yeah. you gotta, you gotta find the biggest Arminian there and, you know, kick his, you know, take him to task so that people know what's up. No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, but no, I, <laughs> in my, in my uh, early Calvinist, well, I mean, I wasn't an early oh, Calvinist, man. but in my, 
college days as a Calvinist at a Baptist university, then I was in kind of fight mode. But since then, I, I don't want to fight about it either. Uh, all right. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the Eucharist. Christ is present or a symbol? This is a great question. For our listeners that are not Christians, like I just hang tight with us while we discuss these interesting things that are interesting to us anyway. Um, you know, for um, for the Eucharist, I, to me— Christ is present in the Eucharist. I take, um, I, I, I take, you know, what was the original Reformation view, at least in my mind, uh, that there is a real presence uh, in the Eucharist that is not a bodily presence, but is a real uh, spiritual presence there, uh, and is something bigger than just a memorial. How that happens is a mystery to me, and so I will. That that that's above my pay grade, and I'll uh, leave that uh, leave that to uh, other other realms. (laughs) Yeah. And of course uh, I see it as more purely symbolic, but I come from a very rich Catholic background. So I'm very respectful of the fact that, you know, that that others believe otherwise. Um, All right. Hymns or contemporary worship music? Hymns. Um, Like nine and a half times out of 10. Give me a, you're like Anglican, right? (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) I want chanting. I want incense. I want, yeah, I want, I want monks and people walking around in you know, big fancy robes like that. That's what I want. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, you go into, uh, you know, find, find out what church the elderly in your community go to, whatever they're singing is still too contemporary for the Anglicans. Okay. They want want old, old school. Uh, but no, I, I like a bit of both. I, I, you know, I, I, there's there's some contemporary worship music I'm just like eh, 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 exhausted by, but there's some old hymns I'm exhausted by too. So like, yeah, no, that's you know, fair. Th- I think it depends on the song, but uh, yeah, a bit of both. There we go. No controversy at all. I think we None. I think we knocked those out pretty good. None at all. We handled it great. I, <laughs> I may have pruned a little bit to make sure that was the case, but yeah, yeah, we got there. <laughs> <laughs> he also says, uh, this is from Alex. Thanks for producing my favorite podcast guys. And thanks to JD for producing what are becoming my favorite tobaccos. Old Toby might now be my number one all day smoke. Uh, keep up the great work. God bless. And again, that's from Alex. And he does, as I mentioned at the top of the show, correct us here. Uh, heights, Alex heights, not hates heights. And he wanted to see how wrong I was going to be able to say it, which was, I feel like I mispronounced it the same way. Everybody probably does Alex, but you let me, you let us know. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for those quick fire questions. And Hey, be sure if uh, you'd like to send us some quick fire questions, send them in the show at country That is show at country Your thoughts, your comments, listener feedback. Listen to feedback this week coming in from the Ginger Piper. Now I wanted to include this because this is um this was this is kind of like a uh, one that came in a little bit too late. We actually got another one that we'll uh, read off in a future episode. But uh, back when we did our smoking chair, very popular episode, man. We got some great great response to the smoking chair episode. Um, and I, I'm telling you, we've really turned the tide on the pipe culture series. <laughs> People love that. That's awesome. People love that series now. But uh, anyway, that that is awesome. Such a great response, and uh, this was a great one that came in a little bit too late. So um, yeah, this is uh, this is from Tim the Ginger Piper. What did Tim have to say? Howdy, gentlemen. I'm Tim the Ginger Piper, president, founder of the South Jersey Pipe Club. Uh, we were just talking about the Isle of Jersey, but I don't think he's talking about that uh, that Jersey. <laughs> uh, love the show and especially amazing. Uh, and it's especially amazing during these unprecedented times in our country and more so our world. It's fantastic to have an escape and Country Squire Radio makes you feel like you're hanging with your best buddies and enjoying a nice pipe. Uh, so smoking chairs. To me, the smoking chair has to be leather, something that can 
can be wiped clean, uh, but more so every cigar lounge that I've been to uh, has had leather chairs and it adds up, it adds to the overall experience. I used to work in Manhattan and spend a, many a lunch break at the Davidoff Lounge, ooh, swanky, on uh, 6th Avenue, uh, trying my new pipe tobaccos and talking about life uh, with the gentlemen and ladies that would frequent the shop. Uh, so when putting together my own smoking lounge in my shed, uh, which is probably very different from the Davidoff Lounge, <laughs> um, I picked up a leather chair and love seat off Craigslist for a great price. Uh, now after smoking hundreds of pipes and cigars in it, the moment that my rump hits the cushion, I'm instantly relaxed and can calmly enjoy some fine tobacco. Also, the arms of my chair are large enough to rest a warm cup of coffee on, a pipe ashtray, or a non-alcoholic IPA, as I'm a sober piper now, uh, without the fear of it toppling over. Um, I'm also, uh, I also keep an iPhone tripod next to my chair so that in quarantine I can join my buddies in the virtual cigar lounge that my local shop, The Smoking Dog, has. Uh, man, by the way, what a cool name for a smoke shop, The Smoking Dog. I like Fantastic, that. Fantastic, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I'm really the only one who ever sits in this chair, which also adds to the experience because I keep it super clean and hope to have it forever like a great pair of leather boots. Uh, anyway, thank you so much uh, both for the work that you put into the community and that's ser- sincerely the Ginger Piper. Man, th- that is so cool. And I, I feel like Tim, in, in you know responding to that, that episode and talking about his uh, particular smoking chair, that was he was waiting for that episode to come along for him to contribute. You know what I mean? He was really, uh, he, he was, he was the one, uh, man that was, um, was waiting for that episode to come along. So, uh, man, thank you so much. And, uh, man, I bet your, I bet your, um, you know, shed is, is awesome. Um, and, and also I really do want to visit the Davidoff lounge on sixth Avenue. I bet that would be fun. (laughs) I mean, like you, like it sounds swanky, but do you know, you know of what he speaks? Well, Davidoff, of course, is, you know, the premier um, cigar brand in, in the world. I mean, certainly in the American market. Right. But, um, you know, I mean, they just uh, make exquisite, uh, you know, cigars. And, of course, their lounge is uh, world-renowned. And, uh, you know, let's let's just say uh, I will never have a lounge anything like that. You know, this ours is compared, you know— we're like the um, Beverly Hillbillies compared to <laughs> compared to anything made by David Off. Wow. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, well, good deal. Uh, well, hey, you know, I, I just want to make one more comment about this. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I obviously uh, very respectful and and, uh, and and good for you being the sober piper piper now. But if you're gonna drink a non-alcoholic beverage, an IPA, that seems like whew, that seems like a slap in the face with no benefit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he's found a good one. You know, I don't know. I guess that's hey, true. I'm my, curious of the brand. Send send it send it our way because I I would let be us curious know. To try that. Yeah, yeah. You know, when my wife was pregnant, uh, and my wife is a beer snob. I'll be honest. Like she yeah. is a doggone beer snob, and like I'm the one, of course, that'll drink, uh, you know, crummy Miller High Life, and she would never ever let that stuff touch her mouth. You know, she. She she loves premium beer, but um, when she was pregnant, she found some non-alcoholic uh, beers that she could she could enjoy. Kind of got into it. I mean, it was something where uh, you know she found that you know some interesting brands and uh, some stuff that uh, you know was made kind of in a thoughtful uh, craft way. And so um, yeah, I, I, there's probably some pretty good ones out there. I, I you know like I said, I I'm very curious to try. So send that our way, Gender Piper. I would love to try. It. <laughs> uh, next up, man. Finally, we've got an iTunes review in. This is from uh, JVXH. And he says, hi, I love the podcast. 
just listened to the Metal Pipe and Olive Pipe podcast and would love to hear about Morta. I looked through the pipe, the podcast and did not see one, but I think it might be a very interesting podcast topic. Keep up the good work. And again, that's from KJVXHN. And you are in luck because this, uh, this definitely uh, went straight to our ears, our hearts and our minds. Because while we have done a Morta episode, it was definitely one of like the earlier episodes that we've uh, that, that we attempted. And so, um, you know what, we, we kind of like, you know, we, we have kind of a personal rule about going back to earlier content, especially in those first hundred episodes, which is like, you know, we'll, we'll really only do it if y'all ask us to, if there's a, if there's a request and man, you know what? I think, I think it might be time to circle back on Morta. Maybe revisiting Morta. Yeah. I think it's a good, a good idea. Uh, man, so many fantastic pipes, uh, out there that are made with Morta and a lot of uh, you know, carvers that really get aggressive with experimenting with it, and so, uh, so we're going to dive back in, man. We're going to we're going to check out Morta after a you know several year hiatus. <laughs> What's all changed in Morta? <laughs> Petrified Bogwood. We're going to find coming out. up on Dateline. Yeah, <laughs> next week should be a good one. Well, hey, in the meantime, y'all can keep up with us throughout the week. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Real Bo York. I'm at John David Cole, or you can get us at the shop at at underscore Country Squire. And of course, the show's handle is at Squire Radio, but all that information and more can be found at CountrySquireRadio.com. Man, packed episode, and yet we still had to slice some uh, some uh, <laughs> content, man. That's a... Uh, I know. It's a good it's one. Crazy, yeah. Man, no, we had fun. It's always, you know, when you talk about a very esteemed brand, um, you know, that has its own, you know, merits and... Uh, is fun in its own right. But then when that is, you know, paired with something that is so electrifying and, uh, you know, polarizing as, uh, you know, something like Esoterica, um, man, there's just, there's just a lot of talk, a lot to talk about. And then, uh, and then of course, you know, on top of that, you throw, uh, you know, retail pricing philosophy and theology questions. And, you know, before you know it, it just goes off the rails. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, right, man. It was a good one. Well, Hey, let's go have a week. See you brother. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 